Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today because we just have an absolutely fantastic program lined up for you. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we're um, an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort all around the world. And so, again, we are thrilled to partner with you, our listeners, in that journey. At our core, we believe collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia. And I know we're making a difference because of all of the support from all of you out there on our on our multiple platforms because Dr. Oz and ShareCare honored us as the number one influencer online, and that would not have happened without your help. So I truly appreciate you liking us and sharing and making comments um, on the programs, emailing it, um, adding them to your website, um, because all of that makes you an advocate by just a click of the button. So I really appreciate all your help with that, because we know that if we join forces and share our knowledge and have these just everyday conversations about life with dementia, we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and we can help people that are in the trenches get back their lives and live with purpose. Together, we can help everybody understand the true needs of this disease, not just the myths and the stigmas that stagnate us. We want to raise awareness and give voice to those afflicted with memory loss as well as their care partners and advocates supporting the cause. And by working together, we give hope. No longer can we be a world driven by fear, and together we can teach people how to live with this disease, not as it. So we would, again, love for you to join Alzheimer's Speaks in this mission. And if you haven't, um, please check out our resource website at www.alzheimersspeaks.com. That's two S's in the middle. And that will give you access to all of our platforms And there you can, again, easily share the different mediums. And we invite others um, to belong to our group as well because we have a a resource directory there where we're um, just in the process of building it. But I don't take all that responsibility on myself because everybody has something to share. And so we've lined that up to be able to do that. Today, our channel expert is with us, Rick Phelps, and I am thrilled to death to have Rick with us because it's been a while since uh, he's been able to uh, make the program. How are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing good, Lori. I'm sorry I was out of the pocket for a while. I had some other engagements, and then I kind of come down with this upper respiratory thing, but things are looking up. 
Well, that's good. It's just so nice to hear your voice and have you join us on the channel. For those of you who aren't familiar with Rick, Rick is um, the founder of Memory People on Facebook, and it's a great social support group. If you haven't checked it out, please go to Facebook and just type in Memory People and ask to join. You see, Rick has early onset, um, known as EOAD, and so uh, and he's been diagnosed since June of 2010, and he is just an incredible force, basically, um, in the industry. And you've got what over 2,500 people now, part of your group, having conversations, you know, 24/7, um, all around the world. So it's a very, very interesting uh, process. Um, and platform that you've built there. So congratulations, Rick. I, I also want to just take a moment and let you tell people up, an update on Sam. Sam is Rick's dementia dog, and for those that follow Rick, um, they may be interested in hearing what's going on with Sam. Sure, Lori. Um, it's been a learning process for us both. Um, I can tell you that a lot of people on memory people and people I talk to daily, uh, when they think of a service dog, they think of uh, maybe maybe for the handicapped and the blind and, and such things. But Sam is much different than that. What he affords me is things that uh, people can't see. He lowers my stress level and things like that. But also, uh, he he does do things for me. He uh, keeps me safe. Uh, he finds the car when I'm when we're out somewhere and I'm not sure at a shopping center or mall or things like that. He reminds me of my medication. Uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that he does. We had a little problem with his focus here about a month ago, so we took him back to the trainer, and we went about three weeks, and he's back back up to speed. So I couldn't be happier. Wonderful. Well, great. Well, I'm going to go ahead and put you on mute for a moment, and I'm going to introduce our guest today, and then we'll get you back into the conversation here a little bit, okay? Um I want to introduce our our two uh, guests, our initial two guests today. Um, I'm just thrilled to death because they are renowned in the industry um, of care. And uh, it was very fun when I was pushing their names out in social media, the comments that I was seeing from from people um, and the impact that they have had all over the world. It was really quite, quite powerful. So I feel blessed that they're joining us today. And those two people are David Trexel and Virginia Bell. And Virginia has lectured on Alzheimer's disease. She's spoken at 12 national educational conferences um, of the Alzheimer's Association. And she's presented at 21 conferences for Alzheimer's Disease International. She's published a journal, uh, journal articles and books. And her work is included in the Dementia Care Patient, Family, and Community um, by John Hopkins in 1989. Many of her articles have been reprinted numerous times, including the Alzheimer's Disease Bill of Rights, which was done in 1994, The Other Face of Alzheimer's Disease in 1999, and Spirituality and the Person with Dementia in 2001. She is also co-authored with David Truxell and published uh, in the American Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and in Alzheimer's Care Quarterly. She has uh, co-authored five books with David, who will be joining us as well today. And Virginia founded one of the first dementia-specific adult day programs in the country, Helping Hands in Lexington, Kentucky. 
She is the recipient of numerous awards, and um, she recently was named the prestigious University of Kentucky Alumni Hall of Fame and honored by the university's Department of Social Work for her groundbreaking work in dementia. Welcome, Virginia. How are you doing today? Oh, fine and dandy. Wonderful. We're thrilled to have you. I'm going to go ahead and introduce David, and then we'll go ahead and get this show on the road, okay? Um, great, David great. has been nationally and internationally um, known for his writing and teaching in the field of Alzheimer's disease and long-term care. He um, and he and again Virginia have authored uh, five different books that have been very influential. The most notable is the Best Friends Approach to Alzheimer's Care, and um, he has also written numerous articles related to dementia and staff development and training. In his past, um, he was an executive board member at the American Public Health Association and a past member of the National Alzheimer's Association's Ethics Advisory Board. David's area of expertise include best care practices for persons with dementia, caregiver support, staff training, and long-term care program development. Uh, David has also been a family caregiver supporting his mother, Dorothy, who passed away um, from Alzheimer's disease in 2009. So um, welcome, David, and how are you doing today? Are you there, David? Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. I'm I'm uh, delighted to be here, and it's going to be a fun show. I think so. I think the time is going to fly by. It always does when everybody's talking about their passion, so I think it will be really uh, very fun. What I'm going to do is kind of ping-pong questions uh, back and forth between um, the two of you uh, so that we don't talk over one another because it's hard because we're all on different phone lines here and we can't can't see people's expressions and things. So the first question I'm going to ask is, you know, the two of you have been trailblazers and you have been in the field of Alzheimer's care for over 25 years. And, Virginia, I'm going to toss this one to you. Can you tell us how the two of you met? Uh, yes, I can. I, uh, I was a family counselor at Sanders Brown Center on Aging here in Lexington, Kentucky, and we had just gotten a big uh, uh, grant for Alzheimer's disease research, and we were needing to um, employ a person to um, uh, be in charge of that grant, and so um, David Troxell's name came up, and I was on the committee where we interviewed him, and we were impressed, and and he came on board for um, uh, to be that director at Sanders Brown Center on Aging. So I knew him um, soon after I got into the field of Alzheimer's. Okay, wonderful. Anything that you want to add to that, David? Well, I'm just glad that uh, Virginia hired me, or we, I might be working at Starbucks today. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was a wonderful time, and I think Virginia and I just hit it off immediately. You know, she was the social worker, and I was kind of the health educator, outreach person, and we were in this building really full of bench scientists, and and there weren't that many people doing the outreach and education work, and I think that's really where we cut our teeth, right, Virginia, in terms of just spending thousands of hours over several years with people with dementia, with their care partners, and, 
you know, back then there was so little public awareness, so we just had to really start making things up as we as we went and began to develop a lot of our ideas around the best friends philosophy. Okay, right, and wonderful. you remember, David, that we were sort of out of place in a medical setting because uh, they were saying then that it was something that had happened in the memory part of the brain and there was not anything that could be done. And we said, whoa, just a minute. <laughs> we have yeah, a we, we had to work with those families who didn't have very much to work with back then. Well, and I can see that, you know, I've been going through this for 30 years with my mom and the resources have changed and the philosophies have changed. Thank God for that. Um, oh, yes. Because it, because there was there really wasn't much out there at all that gave hope. Um, it was really a, a pretty sad, non talked about disease. And now you know we are seeing um, these open communications and beautiful poetry and films and um, you know writings, books, conversations, webinars, um, radio shows. I mean it's it's kind of endless, um, but it still isn't enough. And so I, I applaud you for, you know, jumping in the fish tank with both, with both feet um, back then because I know that couldn't have been an easy battle. And I, and I know it was a battle, if you want to admit it or not, um, when you're going against the grain of, of philosophies because I've done that myself in right. different businesses and, yep. and continue to do that today. And so it takes a lot of tenacity, and I really... Um, I want to say thank you for myself, but also for the listeners in terms of of making a difference there. And Rick, did you have anything that you wanted to add? No, just like always, Lori. When when two people like uh, Virginia and David do the work that they're doing, I always feel that it it's, it's personally affects me because being a patient, and uh, my uh, hat goes off to both of them for the dedication and the work they put into this process. Uh, it is never ending, but uh, we certainly need both people that, uh, both of these kind people that are they're doing a job that uh, needs to be done. Well, I think what we're going to do next is we're going to have uh, David. If you can explain to us, you know, how and why you developed the best friends philosophy and, and where where it came from. Well, gosh, um, we we believed way back when that um, people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias were not victims. We kind of rejected a lot of the negative language back then. You know, back in the 80s, you'd read, you'd read articles that people were ghost people or shadow people. I mean, it was really, it was really something. And, yeah. and, and there was almost a conventional wisdom that there was nobody there. And so when Virginia started the adult day program in Kentucky, we realized that we didn't have any pills, we didn't really have any techniques, we, we still don't have many pills. And we thought, well, how can we, how can we have a good day? How can we support families with respite while enriching people, people's lives with dementia? And we realized that it was all about activities, about relationships, about doing things together. And Virginia had the idea that why not call our volunteers best friends? And it just was magic. It was like fairy dust being sprinkled in the room. And and we realized that people with dementia so often, you know, um, are, are fearful, don't always know who's around them, what's happening. Uh, and, of course, we were seeing people who were, you know, well into their, their dementia journey. And when a volunteer would say, you know, I'll be your best friend and I'll be there with you, uh, it, it was so calming. So what we realized and developed a whole body of work around 
is it really what a person with dementia needs is a best friend, is someone to help them feel safe, secure, and valued, somebody to do things with, to accept, to have empathy, just like you would in good friendship. And we published our first book, The Best Friend's Approach to Alzheimer's Cure, which will be coming out in a brand-new edition this year. And it was an immediate success. We, we were worried that we'd be laughed at or ridiculed, you know, writing a book called The Best Friend's Approach to Alzheimer's. My goodness. But people were ready for some new ideas. And much to our satisfaction and almost kind of uh, um, uh, foreshadowing where the field has gone, Virginia, do you remember the very first letter we got about the book was from a woman with Alzheimer's disease, which was rather unusual back then, who said she'd read the book and it really made her feel good and comforted. And uh, I think that was quite a uh, early sign that maybe we'd be okay. So since then, the, 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 the best friend's approach is being used around the world. And um, it's a philosophy that I think is multicultural. You don't need to have a Ph.D. to do it. And we've written a series of activity books, and, and it, it's really been quite a journey. But um, just like anything else in life, it's, it's ultimately very simple, just about the relationships to help people feel safe, secure, and valued. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I really appreciate about it is that it's not rocket scientists. I, I think, it, you know, it's gotten so complicated, um, and I think that in some ways that's a means of control for, for certain parties. Um, and it really is just getting to the core of of being comfortable, feeling at home in your own body, wherever you are. And that best friend, no matter who we are, always calms us down and, and helps us get centered. And so, again, it's not rocket scientists. Um, it's really taking, it's really just taking an inner deep look at the simplicity of what our needs really are and and how to feed them. Um, Virginia, anything you want to add to to what David had mentioned? Well, uh, no, except that um, uh, actually, when we when I first started, I had, um, as I said, I was family counselor, and we had started a, one of the first support groups for families in the country. And one of the things that they wanted right away was to have uh, some place that their family members could be for a while so they could do some errands and have a little time to themselves. And when I was asked to begin that, uh, there was um, there were absolutely no resources. I think that what we need to appreciate now is that there was a time when there were no resources. And even though we're not where we need to be, we are so much better off 30 years uh, than we were 30 years ago. But something unusual happened uh, during the support group meetings. Families often brought the person with them, and at that time they didn't want the person with dementia in the meetings because they were going to be talking about Alzheimer's, and they didn't want them to hear about, you know, and, and listen in. So mm-hmm. I, since I, I was still a student at that time, getting my master's, and uh, you know what happens when you're a student? You get to do the work that nobody else wants to do, and I was asked to go with the persons with dementia into a room and and be there with them for an hour during the support group, and that was just really an eye opener for me because I realized that underneath the dementia there was a real person, and that the more I could find out about that person ahead of time the more I could engage the person and, ha- and how they long to be, you know, um, um, uh, in the flow of life and how they long to want to communicate. 
and if I could give them some cues that we uh, we could get along. And so actually, I got along so well with people with dementia that when I was asked to develop the day center, I already had you know some really good ideas. And I, and I visited four. I visited four programs in the United States. At that, the only four that I could find at that time, this was back in 1982, uh, that were dementia-specific. And I knew after I visited the programs what I did not want to do. Um, I knew that I had an idea. And so out of that came uh, the training of persons to be best friends. And as David said, uh, uh, he told you about the rest of the story, how we built the best friends approach on on friendship and common sense and kindness. It's, it really is not rocket science. It's something that all of us ought to already know. But somehow, no. you know, we we decided that there was something wrong in the memory part of the brain and there was not anything to be done. And thank heavens we've come full circle in what can be done to, to help fulfill and give meaning to the lives of persons with dementia. Yeah, it's it's sad that we don't teach compassion because that's really what you're all about is um, being in tune and compassionate friends. Right, and you know we've gone so far the other way, and and then it's amazing. And and David and I say that that a philosophy like best friends probably is the best medicine that we have for persons with dementia, including all of the medications. Because it's just amazing how a person will blossom. Um, I heard just the other day someone say that I never thought that you could use the word Alzheimer's and having fun in the same sentence. But in our day center, we just have so much fun. And and people can be so productive and, and so helpful and, and have so much fun that it's good. It's so good for uh, the the caretaker as well as the person with dementia. Oh, definitely, definitely. Humor is uh, is so important, and I think that's one of the things people forget when there's an illness. We forget that you know humor is such uh, a core um, that fills our soul. And um, for some reason, we think it's not proper to laugh. You know, we have to take things seriously, and we we lose that essence of who we are. And um, when we when we lose our essence, we we you know we help the other person lose theirs as well. I right, think. absolutely. It's just um, it's just amazing. And every day, when I work in, and I still want to work in the day center because I learn so much. Um, I, I, we we are still just evolving and finding new ideas. And um, I I just really enjoy being in the program because I have as much fun as they do. And it it gives meaning to my life to be able to help another, and so I feel I've heard so many of the staff say, you know, I really feel helped more than the person that I'm trying to help, and mm-hmm. it's that way. It's hard to help another without being helped yourself. So it's as David said, it is a relationship-centered approach, not just a person-centered, because you want you, you want the the caregiver the care uh, partner to to real really feel in relationship to persons with dementia. 
And, and I love that you use the word um, care partner because caregiving sounds like we're giving it all away and we're not getting anything right. back. And, and it really right. is a circular benefit. I mean, you can't give without receiving. It's impossible. Um, Absolutely. Just, and David and I have just finally we've bit the bullet and just said we're using the word care partner uh, uh, because that's the best friend's approach is to be a care partner, not not. A care, not just a caregiver. Great, great. I I know I use both just because caregiver is so common here, and over in Europe they use carer, and you know there's so many different things. And so to try to attract people from like a social media and article thing, I still I'll use a little bit of them all, but I I prefer sure. the care partner as well. Now, David, right. I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, both of you have really made it kind of your hallmark work to use real stories with real names, you know, when you write about dementia. And can you share with people what the rationale is for that? And did you have to fight, sure. you know, stigmas and family reluctance? Because uh, I think a lot of times people think, oh, you know, that's, uh, you know, I mean, right away people think HIPAA, you know. And uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, you, I, you know, it's sure. funny, looking back, Virginia, I, I, I don't even know that we really, you know, strategically deliberated about the topic. <clears throat> we just kind of did it, but we decided early on with our very first book that, you know, we wanted to just use real people and use real names. And so we would get, you know, we have file cabinets full of permission forms, but we would say, instead of saying, Susie, a woman in the Midwest, cared for her mother with Alzheimer's, we'd say, Susie Smith, of, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, 1212 Johnson Street, practically. And and it's amazing. Almost every family gave us full permission, and we told you know their stories. In the back of our books, we list bios. And we did it because we, we just felt we were combating stigma. And we also felt, honestly, as writers, that it would give our work more authenticity if people could see these weren't just composite stories. And, you know, I, I think we we may still be the only or some of the few writers about Alzheimer's in, in all of our books, even our professionally-oriented books, we we only use real uh, stories, and um, I, I'm delighted. It, make, it makes it tougher sometimes, but um, I, I feel like it, it really does add that authenticity. Well, David, yeah, I, when you think about it, 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 it's it's what it means to be a real person, to have a real name. And persons love to hear their full name. Mm-hmm. And I've made it a point to, to, to be sure that I know the last name of, of all of our participants that come, and we have quite a few that that are many persons that come um, throughout the week in our day center. And it's amazing how a person really loves occasionally to hear their their full name and to be able to talk right. about their last last name. And, and if you know, they, they really want it spelled correctly and they want it, it pronounced correctly, which I think is, is, is you know, it, it's a part of being, um, it's a part of your identity is your full name. And, and, and as you said early on, I think that we we had we didn't think about doing anything else but but using mm-hmm. full names and and uh, we have never had a family refuse to to use a person's full name in anything that we've right. written. You know, I I find that families uh, really for the most part jump on board because they want to help the next guy, and yes. <laughs> um, then then it's not all for nothing, you know and. It gives people purpose. I think that's one of the things I love, even you know, with Rick, 
and you know Norm McNamara and David um, Richard Taylor and and those speaking out with dementia. It gives purpose and it empowers them, and they are making such a difference in others' lives by sharing these stories and. You know, I, I find it kind of comical when you said, you know, it didn't really occur to us not to. And again, because you didn't overthink it. <laughs> right, right. Well, be careful, Rick and Roy, because we are doing a book revision, so we may come to you for some stories next. So just, just be forewarned. <laughs> okay. But, I, I, you know, I just think it's so, um, you've come to this in a really natural, heartfelt place which um, just connects with people. And I, I think that's one of the mistakes that can be made um, with with anything, not just dementia. But when we just make it too complicated and we're, we're so worried about um, the things that, re- that might happen, you know, and we're not living in the moment. And you guys are really in the moment, expressing the moment, sharing the moment. And I think that's one of the reasons... Um, you're having such great success and so well-respected in, in changing lives um, every day. I mean, it's just really powerful stuff. Now, you also have um, a brand-new edition of your family book out called A Dignified Life, The Best Friends Approach to Alzheimer's Care. And, Virginia, can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, in our revision, we uh, wanted it to be specifically for families. When we wrote our first book, we tried to make it uh, so that it could be both professional and families, but we realized that families have different issues than professional uh, care uh, partners. And so we um, um, designed the book to be especially for families. But then we – this – this book first came out in 2000, about 10 years ago, and we realized that we had learned a lot in those 10 years uh, because uh, David and, and I uh, uh, speak in a lot of conferences and do a lot of training, but in the meantime, we're we're learning too. We're learning from people like Sam about uh, you know what they want and, and what gives meaning to their lives. So we we've updated it with with uh, new stories. Uh, we uh, have rewritten um, the Bill of Rights that came out in '94, and um, uh, we realized that that we were amazed at how on target we were uh, in '94. But there have been some changes, and so we um, I think that we've just up- updated it with new stories and some new ideas. And so, David, do you want to comment about something well, more I, about Well, I just thought I'd, I'd share with you that um, you know we're very very delighted to have that book in a new edition. And um, if you go to our website, which is simply bestfriendsapproach.com, we're actually um, putting out this whole new Alzheimer's Bill of Rights that we'd originally written over 20 years ago that it had really, I think, was a very foundational piece for our work. And you can get your free copy and just go to our website and, and learn more about it. Wonderful. Uh, you remember, David, how how many times, how many languages that Bill of Rights has been translated into? So that really was um, very uh, has been very popular throughout the world to have a Bill of Rights for persons with dementia. That it, it is a right to have certain uh, certain things happen to you. So now, with that, is that something free that people can get, or? Um, off the website, if we can just clarify yeah, absolutely. that. Yeah, um, absolutely. If you go to our website, mm-hmm. 
friendsapproach.com, or you can just Google either one of our names and usually get there. And uh, I think we have a, a really lovely PDF file they can download, and, and this is sort of a, a, um, a statement of principles about quality dementia care and about really really putting quality care for people with dementia almost in a, in a human rights context. Uh, you're, you can get a free copy. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, next question. Virginia, you know, you are pretty proud to tell people that you just turned 90 um, last summer, and I, I just... I just find that just so incredible and so exciting, um, being so active, <clears throat> and um, you know, at this wonderful age, that you're still a, a leader, a mover, and a shaker. What's your secret? Well, I think about what you say uh, have just said about we often make things too complex, and uh, I, my secret is that. I thought you were supposed to live as fully as possible as long as possible. I never entered my mind that I shouldn't do some things just because I turned 90. And there may be a time when I can't do a lot of things. And, and, and already there are things that I can't do now that I did when I was 30. But I thought you were supposed to live fully. And so that's. I think that it's very simple that that's just the way I've thought. And and um I, I, I last July when they had the uh, the bluegrass tan k um race uh, i was just um i wanted to be in it because i had fussed about the the age limit they had said 80 and over and i said you know if you're 90 you don't want to run with eight. you don't want to be lumped all in one big lump because all the other eggs age segments or, or, or five years. So they changed it from 80 to 85 and 80, uh, 84 and 85 to 89, and now it's 90 to 99, and they said, Virginia, we've got you covered. <laughs> but, you know, I did it because I could still do it. Now, at the time it come and, and probably, you know, that I can't do it, but I thought you were supposed to do everything that you could. Um, um, as long as you could, because I enjoy enjoy doing it. Why not? Why not give it a try? Uh, you know, so I think that's I, really I, so important. And um, I so think a lot of people in- think. I think a lot of people think, oh, when you're ninety, you're you're not you you're old and you can't do this, that, and the other. But that isn't true. You know, some some of us cannot, but others of us can. And and I think that that we ought to have the privilege of doing everything that we can as long as we can. You know, one of the one of the things that um, I do, and Rick is part of this, is called Dementia Chats. And um, I would like to just say that, you know, living this purpose-filled life for those with dementia um, is just amazing, too, the, the contributions that they're bringing and the comments that typically um, will be made about how they feel and and how it helps them deal with the disease. Rick, do you want to comment on on just kind of this whole living a purpose-filled life? Well, I do want to say that I remember when uh, it was very important to me when I started memory people that we used real names. I'd been to many different websites um, where people would just use nicknames, and, and it was very hard for me to take anybody's serious name, Blackjack or whatever. So when memory people started out, it was, it was very important that we each and every one of us used our real name, and that caught on 
just like wildfire because people in this, we're all in this together, and they, and just like the two of them said, they have no problem using their real name, their real stories, because that's what it's all about. And uh, it, it's just been uh, been a wonderful ride for us uh, with memory people and how many people we've helped. And and I I I, uh, I think they do, just like the other two guests said, they they you do indeed need to use your your real name and and your real stories. Great, great. Um, David, I'm going to throw this question to you. Um, you know, you guys speak to families and professional caregivers, and what are some of the key elements that you stress for successful dementia care? Great question. Well, I think I think the first thing, of course, and we we all would agree that knowledge is power, and learning everything you can. Uh, at the same time, you don't need to have a doctorate in dementia care to be effective. I think the other thing Virginia and I both feel is that socialization is really the treatment for dementia, keeping people active and engaged. And I, I think particularly later in dementia, one reason you have behaviors that are challenging stems from pure and simple boredom. You know, people just don't have enough to do. So I think keeping people engaged and active. Virginia and I are, are huge proponents of life story work, making sure we know a 100 things about each person with dementia. And, you know, when you know, for example, my mother, Dorothy, who passed away with Alzheimer's, she was Canadian, and she loved Earl Grey tea with milk. And if you knew that even one simple thing about her, you could really comfort her and make a connection, and she would feel known and valued when you offered her her favorite cup of Earl Grey tea with milk. So I think socialization, activity, I think being creative when behaviors do happen and realize that they're just part of this journey you know, getting uh, if you're if you're in a long-term care facility or day program or nursing home or assisted living, you know, getting a group together and doing some group problem solving, not just trying to have the nurse write it up. I mean, you know, those kinds of things, and of course, ultimately, uh, you know, really doing your best to stay away from the psychotropic drugs. We think hugs are better than drugs. So, so really, when you do all of this. I think that you can help the person perform at their best, and, and this is very much is what we're about with the best friends approach, that you know, having this approach where you value the person, empathize, socialize, use life story, treat them like a real person, it's amazing how, how you get results. Okay. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, do you, I, a question I want to pose to you, too. Do you talk to both families and professionals together, or are they usually separated in terms of groups when you, when you address them? Well, I'll, I'll give you my, my shot, and Virginia could comment. I, I've done both, and I think Virginia and I both have done both. Sometimes you're asked to speak to a group of nurses or physicians. Uh, other times there are conferences just for families, but in most cases, when I go to an Alzheimer's Association conference or go to any event, it's a mixture. And, and of course, we could probably do another hour on this. So many professionals themselves are, are care partners now for family members. So it, it tends to be just one one larger group. Okay. Virginia, anything right. you want to add? Uh, yes. Um, I, I think I, I said that when we uh, when we first started a support group, they um, – uh, uh, they did not want the person with dementia in the group, and now that has changed because so often, in, uh, you, you, as David said, you have a mixture, and I think that's I think that's really good. However, I think there are times when when persons who are having cognitive problems need to um, to, to be together because to say 
maybe to feel freer to say exactly how they feel because I think it's very difficult sometimes for families to understand. I think it's easier sometimes for professionals because you enter the picture uh, uh, with with the person exactly where they are. You don't have all the baggage of years of knowing what the person used to be able to do. You just start with the person when you first meet them and then you you know you really work to find you know what skills, what abilities, what interests uh, does a person have? But if you are a family caregiver, it's really difficult not to go back and ex- and expect too much from a person or too little. Either way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rick, anything you want to add on that? No, but everything they said, I I agree with one hundred percent. Yeah. One of the things that that I have found with my speaking and training, and I've been pretty adamant on this, is that I think we need to all start talking the same language. And um, and so I really try to talk the people's language instead of medical speak um, because I think it removes the fear and it helps people live with the disease, not as it. Again, taking out that rocket scientist intimidation um, portion so that people can really breathe, you know, with the disease and see that, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, it's different, but it's not that different. It's just another thing that we have to, you know, go to a different pool for resources for, but we still yes. need to live our lives and and um, appreciate things and, and find gratitude and, and build those relationships, not not lose them, you know, to the disease, um, which you guys do such a, a brilliant job with, which is great. Right. Um, Virginia, you Can know, I you just say some, that there's a whole oh, sure. new move on now. In in diagnosing uh, and 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 going to the doctor to look at the whole person instead of just uh, their cognitive loss, and um, but because it's it's so um, hard when a person goes um, for a, a, a doctor's appointment to feel that they have gone down a point or two in cognitive loss, but now the trend is to to look to evaluate the whole person and say point out the things that they still have going for them. You know, you have a very supportive family. You, uh, you know, you uh, you still enjoy speaking, uh, you know, instead of just leaving with that you're down a point or two on your cognitive ability. And I'm I'm really glad to see that because uh, I'd like to hear Sam's opinion about that because it's it's so hard to go and find that no matter what you've done, you're, you may be down a, a point or two. And, sure. and what no one is saying about all the other things that you have going for you. Sure. Rick, do you want to comment on, on what that is like in terms of going in for those cognitive assessments? And Well, I can tell you this story. I've been to many, many of them, and, and I no longer go just because it doesn't do me any good. I know what my cognitive ability is, and uh, um, it, 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 it's a stressful time for me. Uh, the last one I went to was last year sometime, and uh, it was it was an ordeal, and I was worked up two days before and two days after, and and it just it, it doesn't do me any good. But everybody's different. I'm not telling anybody not to go be checked and 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 get a uh, a diagnosis or get a uh, an update or whatever. It's just uh, it's just at this time it's, it's not a good thing for me to do. Is uh, I'm, I'm down this road far enough that uh, I realize that uh, my memory loss is getting worse, and, and the things I do daily is getting worse. And, and I try to keep 
on the path of doing things that I want to do when I want to do them and going to a neurologist and, and having him tell me that I have a memory deficit is not on my list of things to do anymore. Okay. The, um... Rick, I want to say I do know that your name is Rick and not Sam, but I'm sure Sam uh, is pleased to be mentioned on uh, on the radio. Oh, exactly. <laughs> sure, you're right. Man. That's fine. That's fine. And, and, and you know, Rick, Sam I was going to add, you know, the, you know, the classic question on those neuropsych tests is who is the president of the United States? And I think most of us are pretty sick of politics. So the next time the neurologist asks you, just say, eh, what difference does it make? You know? Well, and, you <laughs> and know, I think David, that will probably be the correct answer, actually. Right. And here's the thing. That's, that's the thing that the neurologists don't get. One of the worst things you can do with a dementia patient is barrage them with a bunch of questions. And that's exactly what they do. You know, um, I'm, I'm always stressed out when I go there, but it's worse when I get there because I know there's a barrage of questions, and, and I, I just get sure. confused, and I can't. It's just no good for me. That's what it is. Well, and I think one of the things, too, we all know that the disease ebbs and flows, and so you don't necessarily stay in a category. You can have a good day and a bad moment two seconds later, and um, things change. Um, with that, and you know, on dementia shafts the other day, um, Steve was really struggling. Um, someone else with with early onset, and Harry Urban always comes up with his his just good words of wisdom, and he says, you know, I know it, it's a struggle right now, and he said, but you really have to focus on what you can do, and just let the others absolutely. Go. You can't control that. And he said, and take joy in what you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and we should all be doing that mm-hmm. with our lives. Focusing on on what brings us joy and what what connects us. Um, well, let me and get. You know, I, I can't, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, Virginia. I'm sorry. Um, and every day, you know, I, I, I find these ahas from people that um, really have a lot of cognitive difficulty. But underneath it all, there is so much richness there, and and so much, uh, you know, if you can just. Uh, key into it. It's just amazing what what you can un- uncover and what a person can still do through the use of um, music is so magic um, with persons with dementia because music is a, just a whole different language and you don't have to have words necessarily with music. And so we're just finding out so much about the richness beneath the cloak of, of dementia. Oh yeah, it's a it's a pretty beautiful thing, and it really, you know, the disease. I always tell people has been a gift for me because it just has made me look at the world so differently. I live my life, I think, much more full, much more satisfying. Um, I'm much more grateful, and my connections are so much deeper um, on a level I didn't even know existed, um, thanks to my mother's dementia. You know, and people look at me like I'm just this you know, crazy person, but it's like I I tell people all the time I have the most intimate relationship with my mother who most would look and say she's a shell of a body who can't communicate, but we are able to communicate at a different level that is so precious. Sure. Sure. It's it's very neat. So, well, let's keep going because we're almost down to 10 minutes here. I can't believe it. It's just been a, a fun conversation. I could talk to you guys all day. So, Virginia, I'm going to throw this one um, out to you. Um, you two were really some of the first people to write the importance of life stories. And um, 
can you tell us a little bit on, on why, and I don't want to go too deep into that, but what you see as the benefits about writing life story work? Well, um, you know, I think I said early on I found the importance of the life story when I was in the room with persons that I knew nothing about um, prior to being with them and how how important it was every fact that I could find uh, that I could – a person cannot – come up with the facts but if if you give them cues they can recognize it's sort of like being on jeopardy sometimes you know you you know you, you think you know the answer but when the answer is given you say that's it you know and mm-hmm. so it's just am- amazing how the more you know about a person all of the you know and, and with cues that they they can feel so much in the flow of life. So from the very first day, and I remember a um, uh, someone in, in the medical field said, "Oh, you can't keep up. You can't keep that going with writing a life story on everyone." And I said, "You know, I'd, li- I'd hate to take care of you if I didn't know anything about you. It would just be." Well, it would be just devastating, and that was that was what was happening to the programs that I visited 30 years ago. They were keeping people safe and secure, but but there was but there was no excitement, no freshness, no meaning to the whole thing, and no wonder people were upset. So the life story from the very beginning of our work, David, wouldn't you say has been a, a key? And and you know it's amazing how. As the more you know a person, the more you learn just little, so that when you sit down and you can give and take and talk about little things that have happened in, in their past or things that happened just not long ago, uh, it uh, to me it's, it's, it's sort of like being a detective. Mm-hmm. There's quite a bit of chat going on. Um, people are saying, you know, how do we... How do we get uh, their method into more facilities and communities? And it's like, listen, guys, spread the word. You know, start, start talking about right. the best friends approach. Um, it's That's not that they're tucked in a room, not wanting to talk to people, and getting information out there. They've been doing great work, um, but it it takes all of us to make this change and it help raise their all, voice. It takes all of us. It does. It takes all of us. But one good thing that's that's happening is the baby boomers are coming, and they're not going to put up with some of the things that my generation's put up with. So all of the communities better get ready because they're going to be looking for quality care. Yep, things, things and, are going to be changing. Now, David, can you tell us about activities and why you feel they're important? Well, yes, um, Virginia and I um, uh, both have just had this keen interest in activities from the early, early days and and really going beyond bingo and trivia and happy hour and trying to add some meaning. Virginia's day program that she began in in Kentucky was very activity-rich with different theme weeks and, and adult learning way ahead of its time. And so we took these ideas, and we've actually written two books on the best friends uh, approach to activities. There's a volume one and volume two, and in the books, we have about 300 ideas. And the analogy we use is, you know, if you hit a, a baseball uh, in, a, in a softball game or baseball game and, you you know, you hit it wrong, it, it don't hit it in the right place in the bat, 
you know, you might go out, you know, a number of feet. But if you hit the sweet spot, it, it soars. And we really want people to hit the sweet spot when it comes to activities. And so, you know, things that we believe are, it doesn't matter that you have a beginning, middle, and end. You know, it's sort of a journey. Uh, we want to involve music and, you know, keep people physically fit and active, adult learning. We also think it's very important to, to embrace civic engagement and do things for others. And, you know, some of the assisted living organizations that I work with as a consultant, we do things like make dog biscuits and adopt a local animal shelter and try to, you know, bake 5,000 dog biscuits during the year. In our second volume of our activity book, we actually interviewed, what was it, Virginia, I think well over 20 people with early dementia and asked them what they thought was important. And, again, it was being in nature, being in family, being with family, uh, doing things that are productive, you know, that sense of purpose. And so I think that this is a, a whole new area of activities uh, where we want to encourage people to uh, explore novelty. And, and again, years ago, we thought, oh, gosh, just do the same thing over and over again. It doesn't really matter. After all, they have Alzheimer's. Well, that proved very, very wrong. I think people want to experience novelty and new things. It's great to have some anchors during the day and you know have certain times of day where you have your afternoon tea or do your exercise. But um, we want to we want to bring uh, life into activities and and have activities that embrace life. Well, that's good. That's uh, and you know activities. I mean, people hear that word and they've tried to change it to you know there, there's so many different words that people are using out there. And activity is everything that we do. You know, every movement that right. we make, or if we're yes. just sitting and listening to music, that's an activity. Right. Um, and again, I think sometimes it turns into rocket scientists and it gets too complicated or people think it's only bingo. And, um, you know, activity is really engagement. You know, and I, in some ways I wish they would just almost use that word engagement. Well, we have, and in fact, uh, we have in our new book, we have turned away from activity to engagement because I think um, you're right, you're so right because people think when you hear activity, it's something that you plan ahead of time. And actually, I think if you know, it's all it's all the little things that happen. Just you know, being together, laughing together, you know, just sitting. It, it's the touch. All of these things are probably much more uh, important than maybe a planned uh, get-together sometime during the day. So we're, uh, Dave and I are trying to, but here again, um, you know, when you use the word engagement, a lot of people look at it and think, well, what on earth is that? They want to go back to the word activity. But I think gradually we're we're saying that that engagement is a whole day. It's It's just being together the whole day. All the little things, and and then the the, the planned things too. It's the total yep. day. Yeah, uh, Lori. Good. Yep. Go ahead, Rick. If I could jump in here, I wrote this down. I have to because of my memory deficit. But I wanted to speak about what Virginia said about the baby boomers coming of age, and and she couldn't be any more right. Uh, what I see with this disease is people like in uh, Virginia's um, generation, my grandmother and my mother, uh, these are very, very proud people, very, very personable. Uh, they, they didn't want to talk about this disease at all, and that was fine. But uh, just like Virginia said, the baby boomers are coming of age, and, and uh, I'm not proud at all. I'll talk about anything. I tell people things that uh, they want to hear. 
and I also tell people things that they don't want to hear because this is how this disease is. I, I don't uh, sugarcoat anything. It's very important that you hit this disease head on and you talk about the things that, that are coming. I tell people all the time, uh, you don't have to accept it, but every day you're in denial is a day you'll never get back. And by accepting it doesn't mean that you've given up. It just means you understand what is going to happen. Uh, it's very important that people understand that, in my mind, anyway. No, good, very, very good point. Um, Virginia, I've got another question I want to toss to you. Um, you founded one of the first dementia-specific day centers in the U.S., so first I have to congratulate you on that. And, um, you know, you're still actively involved with that. What draws you to the, the day center care concept? Well, you know, I have a big time when I go when I work in the in the day center when I'm a best friend, and sometimes Dave and I do a lot of writing. Sometimes you're trying to write, and I think I just need a break. I just need to go down and 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 be with uh, with my friends. I, I mm-hmm. often say I have more friends who do not know what day it is, and I have friends who do know what day it is. I somehow just in. Um, I enjoy being with with persons who are um, trying um, so hard to to be in the flow of life and have so much to give and can be so much fun. And so um, I I, uh, I go because I enjoy going. Wonderful. That's and kind I would, of how I feel I with really the memory In fact, I'm, when I, when I finish here, I'm going. That's where I'm going to the day center to. Um, we have a new volunteer coming in, and I'm going to be with her this afternoon. And it's it's it, it's it, it really becomes it is when you do best friends right. It's a community. You are in a community of of persons. There's no uh, we make no difference between who is who. We're there mm-hmm. to to learn and to have a good time together. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And David, you've you've had, you know, a really long career with Alzheimer's um association and, and now you work as a consultant um in long term care industry. Can you can you tell us about that, please? Yes. Um I was the director of the Santa Barbara Alzheimer's Association from ninety four to oh four and loved that job. I had a wonderful ten years in a beautiful city, but I had to move back to my hometown to Sacramento in part because of my mother having Alzheimer's and wanting to you know, be her care partner. Um, since that time, I've worked with a lot of organizations around the country and even internationally to help them do a better job in dementia care. And I, I really have enjoyed it. It's, it's very challenging, as you can imagine, working with staff, working with, you know, I've been in buildings where there are staff from 20 different cultures uh, trying to get people to understand the importance of person-centered and person-directed care. But, you know, I think the good news is that our families are getting more and more sophisticated. And what I say to all my clients is, hey, let's step up to the challenge. The market will reward you when you do a great job. And conversely, if you're not doing a good job, you, you know, you may not get that move in an assisted living or, or in-home client. But I'm, I'm encouraged that I do think um, – you know, groups are innovating more, I think, with the Internet now. And, you know, maybe um, someone was born on a wheat farm in Walla Walla, Washington, and now on the Internet you can 
take that person with dementia and show them pictures of their old family farm on uh, Google Earth or, you know, really develop a lot of individualized activities with an iPad. So I think there's a lot of good stuff happening there. Um, you know, a couple steps forward, one step back now and then. But I've, I've really enjoyed working as a consultant and trying to get some of these best friends principles into uh, professional staffing. We actually do have a, a Facebook page, so people can always like us on Facebook. And we now um, have, uh, through our press in Baltimore, if someone's really interested in best friends, they can become a best friends master trainer. And you can find out more about that on our website. And we now actually are training people around the U.S. to, uh, to bring best friends into their organizations. Okay, great. Great. And then, um, Virginia, can you tell us what you kind of see for the future of dementia care? Uh, well, I, I am very optimistic. Um, I, um, you know, I say to persons when they say, oh, we're not where we need to be, and I said, of course we're not. Uh, uh, Mark Twain said, I love what he said, even if you're on the right track, if you just sit there, you'll get run over. And so we can't just sit there because we will get run over. It, 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 and I love what you say, that it has taken all of us. But I'm optimistic that we've learned so much. And one of the good things about being old is you have such a long look back. And I can look back over the last 30 years and just say, wow, I can't believe we've come so far. But, yes, we have, we have work to do, but it's doable Mm-hmm. And um, we we are changing um, as I speak. We're changing the history of dementia care, and to me that that is so uh, so exciting to realize that you're a part of changing the history of dementia care. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be um, one of those one of those trailblazers. That's for sure. And you've you know both of you. Your impact has just been so massive. It's just been absolutely wonderful. David, I'm going to throw this question to you. What are some of your current projects or New Year's resolutions that the two of you are working on? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, New Year's resolutions. Uh, well, uh, Virginia and I, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, we are um, uh, knee-deep in revising our very first book, The Best Friends Approach to Alzheimer's Care, and, and putting a lot of new stories about best practices and that will be hopefully published in fall of this year. Um, I, I have to say that this has been a big challenge. I should really learn from you. But you know, I've been really working hard with Virginia to do more social media. And of course, when I was in college, my dream was to someday own an IBM Selectric typewriter. So you can see how far <laughs> I've had to travel the journey. Um, so it's been really fun for uh, Virginia and I both to work on the Facebook page, to work on an e-newsletter, and work on our website. And I hope we can do more uh, around that this next year. But in terms of just the general field, I, I have to say we, we love um, getting out there speaking to the various groups and talking about best friends, even though there's been so much news about Alzheimer's care and Alzheimer's is in the news every day. Um, the families, there are still you know, new families every day starting their journey, and it's amazing how much help they need. So I have to say of, of all the things, and maybe Virginia can, can comment as well, but you know, even though Alzheimer's is such a tough, tough situation, I think you meet the best people in this field. And I have to say that one thing that's really touched me is meeting so many wonderful professionals and family members and people with dementia um, who, who become friends and colleagues. And, 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 and there really is a worldwide effort underway to, to conquer this disease and, and create a better world. So that, that's been very satisfying for me. 
Great. Anything you want to add, Virginia? No, uh, we um, we have plenty of work to do on this new book. And then Dave and I are speaking in Taiwan in April, and uh, we're looking forward to um, going there. Actually, the uh, Best Friends Approach, I think, David, this is my 24th one uh, um, instead of 21. And so actually, it, and I have spoken in each one, and so the Best Friends Approach uh, has gone around the world, and um, the people uh, really are climbing on board. So that's exciting to me. And, and to be able to uh, to go to Taiwan is exciting to me. Oh, very fun, very fun. It's, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, again, I've been doing this for, for 30 years and um, have just kind of jumped into the, the kind of super advocate role that you guys play that you've been, you know, burning trails for forever. I've just been doing that the past few years, but I just see a huge shift in terms of people coming together and talking more openly and getting more creative and, you know, even with the fiscal cliff and and all the things that are going on, I think that's going to force us to work together and not be so proprietary about everything we do, but really sharing ideas and and speeding up the machine um, that can shift our our culture care um, around the world by by working together and being collaborative. And and to me, I just find that so, so exciting. And um, it, it is very fun to be able to connect with with uh, people of your stature and experience. So, I'm, like I said, I'm just thrilled to death that uh, you were able to join us on the show today. Rick, is there anything that you would like to say to David or Virginia? I know that they've got to get running here pretty soon. I would just like to thank them for uh, enlightening me on what they've been doing, and I'm looking forward to the new book coming out. If I can add anything to that or, or help in any way, um, I'm very easy to get a hold of. So I appreciate everything they're doing. And like I said, I, I, some, I mostly think that when things like these happen, they're, they're talking directly to me. So as a patient, uh, I just want them to know that, that, that they have my heartfelt thank you and uh, gratitude. Great. And Rick would be a great source for stories You're welcome. along thank with you. um, many Ab- members absolutely. of memory people. Um, Absolutely, we'll have. Oh, go ahead. We'll need to get his. We'll need to get his information, uh, David, so he can be in our new book. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, David, for um, in Virginia, for people to reach you, they just go to www.bestfriendsapproach.com. Is that correct? That's that's right. Yep. Okay, or they can type into Facebook Best Friends Approach and you'll pop up. And remember that you can get that Bill of Rights um, on their site for free. So go to www, um, Best Friends Approach and check out the, the fabulous work that they're doing and, and you know share the information. Um, if you've enjoyed this talk, again, go ahead and like it. Um, you can email it to your friends. You can do all types of things, but... It's uh, just a click away to become an advocate and share the share the work um, that these two wonderful folks have been doing and, and are going to continue to do on our behalf. So, again, I thank you both so much for, for being with us and um, hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank Thanks you. so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Um, our next guest um, I am also thrilled to have with us is Trin Rose Seeley. 
And she is a professional caregiver, photographer, and musician. And she spent a decade in um, Pennsylvania and Colorado as a full, um, full-time full caregiver in uh, care communities and in private homes. She also was an activities coordinator with independent elders and uh, people with dementia. And she was also a special programs coordinator at the Alzheimer's Association in Denver. Uh, Trin Rose grew up with a brother with special needs, which really helped her form her sensitivity to those who can't do for themselves. And um, she's really learned um, how important it is to share the best stories of life. She has applied this method of interacting with others in preschool, elementary school classes, musical classes, um, elderly homes, retirement communities for 25 years, and she really believes this approach serves caregivers of all kinds. And she became inspired to write down what she learned over the years and has um, a brand new book um, out that she wants to uh, to share with the world. So welcome, Trin Rose. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you. Delightful to be here with you. Well, great. I'm I'm glad you could join us. We have Rick Phelps on the line as well, and Rick is the founder of Memory People. And so he will probably have a few comments and questions along the way as well. Um, I want to just kind of get rolling right into this conversation. And if you can give people a little bit of background about what your perf- um, not only personal but professional path was that, that led you to be a caregiver for people with um, Alzheimer's and, and other related dementias. Thank you for asking, Lori. And I just want to say I'm honored to be on the same line with Rick Feltz. I've so enjoyed memory people online and joining that conversation. It's such a warm and welcoming home for people. So it, it feels like I'm on the line with movie stars. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So can you give us a little background about yourself, both um, personally and professionally, what led you to be, uh, you know, a caregiver? Yes. Um, I studied elementary education at Michigan State, which is where I grew up, and decided that that was a good uh, first path. Um, I love working with children and knowing that they are always reaching to learn um, I found that I had a, I grew up with a, a brother with special needs uh, in the young part of our families growing up, and he had um, seizures that prevented him from being fully present with us as a family. But I learned through my parents' attitudes and ways of uh, raising us that Martin was in there, and that he was reaching to communicate, to express himself, to find the meaning that he could find in his life. And, you know, as the one-year-older sister, I wasn't that compassionate as a (laughs) nine-year-old, but learned throughout the rest of my life so far that if a person can't express who they are, I'm going to believe that they're in there 100% and do my best to reach them. So that path led me to um, starting with um, elementary education as a study, and I went on to teach 
many preschool classes. I love the little ones who are just reaching for meaning, reaching to learn, and uh, found that they too are interested in being respected and uh, valued for exactly who they are right at that time. Um, so I did that work for a decade in Pennsylvania with young children, and I moved to Colorado where I started working with elders. Um, it was really delightful to find um, opportunities to work with elders in private homes, uh, in their own homes one-on-one, -on -one, as well as in retirement communities. Um, another thing that really uh, developed my own ability to see that people are in there, even if they can't express it, is uh, my own experience of a severe depression when I was about 20, 21 years old that came on. I, I was very troubled about it and from the inside felt frustrated that I couldn't express myself on the outside um, the way that I wanted to. And my friends and family, the, the ones that were the most helpful to me were those who would interact with me as if I was fine, as if I was comfortable, as if I knew what was wrong and knew how to um, be my sparkling happy self again. And so I could see from the inside where I wanted to go, where I wanted to be, how I wanted to um, heal and be uh, comfortable again. And so as I learned to work with people who couldn't express themselves easily, I could say, now I know they're in there and I'm going to reach and give them a running start, give them a path, um, give them something that would um, help them feel respected and kind, kindly regarded, even if they couldn't express themselves on the outside. Great, great. Now, do you think that there's a, a cure for Alzheimer's? What's your philosophy about that? I think that the cure for Alzheimer's is kindness, respect, and strategies that uplift and empower a caregiver. Uh, I think there, it, medical cures and neurology and science, they may very well help people. And I think that um, people should pursue whatever path makes them the most comfortable. Um, but we can't wait. <laughs> we can't wait for scientific results sometimes. So. Um, I think it's really important to learn to be the human, you know, bring up the human part of um, using best strategies to uh, tell stories about people's lives and bring their lives back to them so that they can um, be, express themselves as best they can, even with a label or a name called Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. I find that, that yeah, I would agree that um, you know to help the caregiver, but also the person with with dementia as well. And Absolutely. you know, it's kind of funny because I <clears throat> I got really irritated with uh, with a, a title of an article that was about, um, <clears throat> and it was a research study about will people who go to outer space, you know, will that cause more dementia? And I was like, really. We are spending money on a handful of people we send up to space, big bucks, to study this, 
when we have people here living with the disease that need help coping. And I was just like, I never did read the article because I and, and I don't know really yeah. what it was all about because yeah. I was just so irritated as a personal caregiver that that was more important. And then I thought, you know, someone who could afford to go to space probably can afford good care too. And exactly. um, you know, and so it kind of gets back to that kind and respect and and being reasonable with that. Rick, is there anything that you want to add to to what uh, Trin Rose said? Well, I'd just like to thank Trin for her kind comments. That was very nice of her. Um, memory people is what it is because of people like her. Uh, Trin absolutely gets it, and uh, it's very enlightening to listen and, and be able to speak with her today about this subject. I, I know one of the things... I don't know if it's off subject or not, I hope not, but one of the things that absolutely throws me over the edge is when I'm in a uh, facility speaking and, and someone inevitably refers to the Alzheimer's unit as the lockdown unit. It just mm-hmm. makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Um, it is a secure unit, but it's also an Alzheimer's unit. So why don't we mm-hmm. call it an Alzheimer's unit instead of the dreaded lockdown unit? I just That's one of my... Not my biggest one, but one of my biggest pet peeves, I guess. Yeah, and it, you know, why is it, it locked down? It's a safety issue, you know. It, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes it, the it, hair stand up on the back of my neck as well, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trin, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your book, Fifteen Minutes of Fame? Um, one photo does wonders um, to bring you both back to solid ground. Can you tell us uh, where you came up with the title and, and uh, you know, how that all transformed for you? Yes, the title went through some different changes. Um, when I first decided that I needed to write down the strategies that I learned as a caregiver and even more importantly, just a person who wants to understand people and give them the best experience they can have. Uh, I called the book Now Reunions, and it was particularly addressing younger onset needs, which is people over the age of 65 when they get that, the disease. Um, it's one of the areas that I focused on when I worked at the Alzheimer's Association in Denver was to be the younger onset support person and do some learning about that. What I found is that I was wishing that I could provide more services for people with younger onset because it's different than a person who's retired, who has their pension, who has Social Security, who has all those sort of carefully captured um, support systems. A person with dementia under the age of 65 is often the main breadwinner. They're a parent of teenagers. and it doesn't always get diagnosed properly. And so the the first set of writings that I did was called Now Reunions, which invited um, people to understand that it's really valuable to um, give that person as much life as they can have and not shut down on them too soon. Um, it moved into 15 Minutes of Fame, when I started investigating my own experience as a caregiver and realizing that what I did as a caregiver was 
to find out the best stories about that person's life and always have them ready, have them in my pocket, ready to share with the person themselves or new caregivers to the communities I worked in. But I would always ask the families, too, tell me the best stories about this person's life so I can be in the know, so I can be uh, ready to uh, connect with that person. It, it gave me a way to immediately connect and say, I know the best stories about you, and I'm proud to know you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I realized... How did you... <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just I realized that I was actually just writing and sitting in a, a cafe, and it just came to me that, you know, caregivers can get very overwhelmed, too, and say, I don't know how to do that. It's too much. And the, the phrase 15 minutes of fame came to me, and I said, well, how about 15 minutes a day? <laughs> you can mm-hmm. do it 15 minutes a day. You can bring a story. You can bring the songs they love. You can bring um, photographs that tell their life story just for 15 minutes a day and see if you can expand from there, which is my general philosophy, too, to start small and expand as you can. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Can you tell us how you laid out the book and how it can help um, you know, families and, and um, professionals in terms of using photography and using story? Yeah. Um, in the book, there are several... Uh, personal stories. I loved hearing um, David Troxell and Virginia White in the last hour talking about, you know, using people's real stories, real names, and real life stories. In my book, I changed the names because I just did, but I won't do that anymore. <laughs> I learned that mm-hmm. from them. But all the stories are real and true to the experiences that I've had with people. Um, one of the stories in the book is about a woman who would get agitated and concerned that her needs wouldn't be met at the time when she needed them to be met. She would get anxious and and nervous and sort of ask caregivers, are you going to help me? Are you going to come back to my room now? And when these times came, I would walk with her to her room and remark on the portrait of her mother who had died when she was young but it brought a poignant and loving response from her every time we talked about it. And then she would reset. She would relax and feel reassured that her needs would, in fact, be met. So it was the value of the family giving that picture and telling us in in her care, this is a story that is very important to June. And so we could tell it again and again and bring her back to that comfortable place, something that she knew and loved, and then she would turn to us and trust us and feel relaxed that, in fact, her needs would be met. Yep. Well, that's great. Um, Rick had to drop off the line just to FYI you on that. He was having a a coffee and shit, and he (laughs) said he was really sorry that he had to scoot, and he loves your work and and what you're doing, and he apologized, but he's, like, choking to death. (laughs) Well, that's much more important. <laughs> Take care of that. Needless to say. Um, well, you know, I think your your book is is um, fascinating, and it, it kind of lines up with something I do called um, 
the memory chip journal, which is where people come and share stories, but it's it's laid out beautifully. It's just a, it's a nice book that you've put together um, for people to be able to see, you know, how to how to share story and you know how to relive these moments and and get that 15 minutes of fame, that 15 minutes of connection um, with people. It's it's a pretty um, pretty powerful. Um, moment that can be created, you know, if we just slow down and take the time. Uh, I want to ask you a couple other questions as well on how you see the future of care evolving for elders in general in uh, in the world today. Yeah. Well, my own path started as a phone call from a friend who said, I think you would be wonderful in elder care. You worked with children for many years but I think here in Colorado there's an opportunity to work with elders, and I think you should give it a go. And so I did. I started as a a home care worker for an agency and did one-on-one work with people. One of those fine ladies who is uh, denoted in my book um, was moving into a retirement community. Uh, It was particularly an Alzheimer's care community. And the daughter wanted me to go with her into the community there to help her get comfortable being there and have a companion to be with. And so I did, and there were times when she really needed to rest instead of engage with people. So I would go out into the community and connect with other people. The director and the activities director said, I think you'd be wonderful in this work. Would you be willing to do a couple of days a week doing regular activities for the whole building. And I said, yes, I'd love to do that. And um, continued to work in that community for a long time, went on to work with independent elders as well as another um, important community in Boulder called Bella Vista. That was a specific, wonderful place to work with people with dementia, with different causes of dementia. And... As I worked in these communities, I felt very strongly that I really wanted to affect as many people as I could um, and that there were many people who couldn't afford this kind of care, who whose families were at home with their family member or their friend or their spouse, and that they also needed support as much as they could and deserved to have just as much care as I was giving to all these other wonderful people. So as I've evolved through working with the Alzheimer's Association and missing being more connected to people um, directly, I spent time on the phone with people. I did support groups. I sponsored programs in Boulder. But I missed being right on the front lines of supporting people directly. I realized I needed to write down what I'd learned from all my experience and also seeing that the real need is that people are at home with their family member or their friend and they need help. So what I see is sprucing up the public spaces with more activity, more opportunities for caregivers to join in with an interesting experience. Either an artist is doing a demonstration of their work or um, a a school is transporting their kids to the local library 
to do a dress rehearsal of the play that they're doing at their school um, at a good time of day as well. Time, the time of day that's important for people with dementia is earlier in the day, and often, you know, we do plays at 7 o'clock at night. We have orchestra concerts at 8 p.m. I think it's important to bring more experiences into the public spaces that can serve. It will serve everybody who joins in, particularly caregivers and the people they care for. Which makes a lot of sense. And I I you know, I think that we're we're seeing trends with that now, even just the way support groups are um set up. You know, they're not as structured, they're bringing more activities, they're um not, you know, just in an office space anymore. You know, the memory cafes, the Alzheimer's uh cafes uh, that have been created that were, you know, started over in Europe and have, you know, maneuvered their way over here in the US. Um are very much social and in engagement groups. You know, they're the the stigma of just even calling it support. Um, some people push back because they just want normal activity. They want a normal life, and they should have one. You know, yes. um, just because you get diagnosed with a disease, I don't care if it's Alzheimer's or dementia or heart disease or diabetes, you still have a right to have a regular life, have purpose, um, be fulfilled, you know, as a person. And so looking at the positives instead of the negatives is just huge, you know. It and it's really a flip of the switch, again, not rocket scientists. Um, yeah. And so you're do, doing some neat things with that. Absolutely. Did you want to comment on that? Yes, just that even at trying to write down what I've learned and in my book publisher will attest to this truth. I kept resisting using the word Alzheimer's in my book, in my work, because the way that I see people and coming from working with uh, children, working with children with special needs and adults with special needs, it feels like it's more of a general connection that people want to live a meaningful life, no matter who they are or what kind of label might be connected with them. So my book publisher kept saying, but if you use the word Alzheimer's, people will be able to find your book. And I just kept mm-hmm. saying, but I don't want to lock in this, um, lock in the stigma or lock in the smallness, the potential smallness of this category. It's more about people being well, people being um, engaged and happy and alive the best way that they can. So that's why I see the need for more energy in the public spaces and bringing musicians out of their basements instead of practicing in the basement, practice in the local library or the local mall so that um, caregivers can bring people that they are caring for out for an interesting experience. Museums, the restaurants that you love to go to, you know, go go every week so that people who serve get to know you and they can't wait to see you and create a home away from home that's different from saying this person has this condition and they can't engage. Yes, they can engage. Let's find ways to make that easier. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What, um, what strategies do you suggest to help educate and engage family members and friends 
um, and others who who aren't a caregiver yet or a care partner yet. Do you have uh, Do you have some specific ideas? I do regarding that. I do. In the work that I did, I loved talking with family members who of the people that I cared for, and when I would give them ideas, they would sort of sparkle up and say, "Oh, you mean I could." tell them the best stories about their life and they'll they'll be more comfortable with me when I come to visit instead of say I don't know you I think I should know you but I don't yes tell them about their own lives mm-hmm. there are you know the the scenario that I know probably many of us know is that often one family member will step up to do most of the support and care of all all the levels of all kinds and they can be very lonely and frustrated that the rest of the family doesn't help. And often what I would see is that those who knew how to help were the ones doing it, and the people who didn't know how didn't. So what I've learned is to give people the best job that they can do. Um, Sometimes uh, there will be a a brother who doesn't understand and the sister does, you know, knows how to do care for the mom or the the spouse or the friend. And so sometimes it would be good to say that brother is really good in the garage and good with cars. Um, Can that brother please take the car and tell the parent who isn't able to drive anymore I've got the car, Mom, and I'm taking care of it. Don't worry. You know, give them the job that they can do. Um, don't ask that person to bring groceries or to sit and visit because they're they're uncomfortable or they don't know what to do or say. But give them the job that says, you're good with cars. Help us with this task. Um, another thing that I've invited people to do if there's frustration in the family, you know, unhealed wounds to say what you can do is send an anonymous package with yearbook clippings or um, stories about your family member that can give to the person who is doing the full-time care. Go ahead and create a flow of action for that person, even if they can't give a phone call because it's uncomfortable or they can't show up, not even because they can't show up. Maybe they're a long-distance caregiver or they live far away. Um, But send send things that can help that person. Send photographs. Send a story when when you are all young that makes you laugh, that makes – give something to the full-time caregiver that's present. Excuse me. But give give those people the job that they can do. Mm Mm-hmm. That that is very very important um, to focus on those positives and um, the purpose and the connection. I think those are are all great strategies. Um, what resources do you recommend for caregivers? Do you have some favorites? I do. Um, one of my very favorites is the the couple of wonderful people that you were just interviewing, um, Virginia Bell and David Troxell. I have on my desk right now the Best Friends Approach to Alzheimer's Care signed by David Troxell that I got to uh, meet him back at an Alzheimer's Association event in Colorado. 
it's a wonderful approach just to remind people that becoming a person's best friend is a wonderful way to stay connected to the person even if they don't remember who you are. Um, another of my favorite books is The Validation Approach by Naomi File. Absolutely wonderful. Um, and those people are big and wonderful names in the field. There's another wonderful man named Gary Joseph LeBlanc, who I've met at the Memory People Group with Rick Phelps. He has several wonderful books. He was a full-time caregiver for his father down in Florida, wrote an, a newspaper column, and has since wrote more books that you can find on Amazon. Gary Joseph LeBlanc, wonderful stuff. Um, there's a group that I found on Facebook as well as Twitter called I Feel Better When I Paint. It's a, a group that is, is by the Hillgoss Foundation. Um, it's so true. I've gotten to experience many times with art experiences, um, bringing people back to themselves by being able to engage in art, engage in music. Um, that's a wonderful group as well. There's a woman named Beth Sanders who has a her Facebook page is connected to my page supporting people with dementia. Um, she's written a whole program about how to write a life story. It helps a caregiver walk through and ask questions that will capture a wonderful life story for the person that they care for. Um, her page is connected there to mine. And there's a wonderful group called Coro Health that provides a music um, technology box that you can plug in and it will play a person's favorite kind of music all day and night. Sometimes it's very challenging for a person at night to sort of wind down and, connect and fall asleep. So this box creates a whole flow of music for the day quiet in the morning, more lively in the afternoon, and quiet in the evening, or however you want to program it. That page is also connected to my Facebook page. So, And the truth is there are so many wonderful resources out there. People can look around and find them, and what I encourage is to find the ones that you really resonate with because some there are different styles and different approaches out there. So there's always more to find, and I know I will find more and continue to promote them as I find them. Yeah, there's there's lots of great resources, and many of what you said are, are on my list. And I'd say Rick Phelps' book, too, I would recommend um, while, while we still can. And, and Gary LeBlanc's is, again, very good. Carl Health is absolutely amazing, you know, their prescription for music and, <clears throat> and so forth. So... Well, it's just been a pleasure to have you, you know, on the show with us today. Um, can you let people know how what's the best way that they can go ahead and reach you and be able to get your book? Um, yes, thank you. Um, my email address is trinrose t r y n r o s e at gmail dot com. If you email me, I can send you a printed copy of my book, 15 Minutes of Fame. It is also available on my website, which is caregiverheart.com. 
It's a PDF file there, which means you can just download it and view it on your computer or any device. Um, in the next week, my book, 15 Minutes of Fame, will be on Amazon and available for Kindle and Nook downloads, which I'm very excited about. I was hoping to have it ready by today. It's in final edits and will be ready by next week, so you can watch my social media for the links to those things. Um, and I, I'm also just going to say quickly that I have a, a phone application that is also almost available. It's called Alzheimer's Story Starters, and it gives several options for being able to tell great stories about topics that you might have your phone with you when you're out at the doctor's office and you're waiting or you're stuck in a long line at the grocery store with the person you care for, and it will give you photographs, songs, and story ideas to tell while you're waiting so that you're not wasting your time and you're enjoying your time. Um, so those are things I have to share. I'm, I'm really thrilled to have the chance to speak of them today and join the larger conversation with all these wonderful people who are doing care for people with dementia. Well, it's, it was great to have you, you know, be part of the show. And uh, like I always say, none of us can do this alone, and it takes all of our ideas um, because we, you know, we need to we need to spark one another in terms of what works, what doesn't work, um, and uh, get creative um, and to make it more fun uh, to get to get that uh, that heart back that you're talking about. So. I really appreciate you um, being with us again. If you want to give your website out again one more time. Sure. The website is called caregiverheart.com. Okay. The caregiver's heart is a really important thing to support, and I, I hope that caregivers can be kind to themselves and to make a plan because if you make a plan, you can change or adjust that, that plan. And I believe, among many other wonderful resources, that 15 Minutes of Fame will show you how to make a plan that you can accomplish today. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Trin Rose. Really appreciate it. And, and please check out her her uh, website and her book. I love that idea of the application uh, for people to be able to use. So that's just a, a nice a nice, nice idea that you have there. Um, in wrapping up the show, I just want to, you know, say thanks again to all of our listeners and participants and uh, people who like and share the program and email it to their friends or decide to embed it on their their websites. Um, anything that we can each do to to help raise awareness is is absolutely massive. And so I encourage you, you know, to join us on that journey. I also want to give a special thanks to Alzheimer's Disease International. Um, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's association around the world, um, that is the place to go, ADI, and um, they can hook you up with resources in your in your area. Uh, as far as upcoming shows, uh, really have a pretty exciting schedule. We are going to have uh, <clears throat> Wendy Kruger with us, who's a music therapist on the 15th, and on the 23rd, Sherry Snelling is the author of Celebrity Caregivers um, and about their stories. And then Jordan, who is a teenager, is going to be on the second half of the show. And she's got 
a really interesting project called Purple Rain, and she's we're going to see a lot of Jordan, I think. And then in February, we will have author Judy Prescott with us, and um, on the 8th will be Barbara Brock, and she'll be talking about the clock test. And then on February 18th, we're going to have Dr. Bill Thomas with us. I'm just thrilled that Bill's going to be able to join us. Um, He is just a mover and shaker in terms of culture change. And then I also want to just remind people that the next Dementia Chats, where I interview people in a webinar platform who have dementia, will be on uh, January 22nd. So we'd love to have you be part of that. And don't forget to check out alzheimerspeaks.com. There's tons of information on that site. And, again, utilize the share buttons there. You can email it to family and friends and coworkers, um, individual pages. Uh, Again, it's all about connecting. And there's a way that you can also input information that you found helpful into the site uh, by clicking on the Partnering Options button next to the Contact Um, button at the top. So again, have a wonderful time and we will speak with you all soon, uh, just in another week. So kick off the new year well and um, see you soon. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.